0: Everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of Trial by Fire. I hope everybody's getting outside and enjoying the spring, wherever you are in the world. It's been pretty much raining here in Sweden for the last week, but uh, trying to not let it stop me getting getting outside. Um, I'll be departing these shores very soon, so trying to get in as much of the, um, I suppose, the nature. Here as much as I can before I leave. And I suppose when this episode comes out I'll have already left. Um, so I will be in Finland at that stage. Um but you know it's it's look it's it's looking looking uh, I'm looking forward to to finally getting on the road. There's been a lot of packing, a lot of logistics, a lot of planning and and trying to tie up all the loose ends before I get moving. And then of course I'm still working with clients and still producing this podcast and things so Pretty non-stop right now, but you know I, I I do enjoy that process as well. Like to keep busy. Um, my guest today is a man named Trust and Timber. If you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel. And um, that's Trust and Timber, not Justin Timberlake. Um, and uh, he's a really cool guy um, from Canada. He and his wife build these beautiful log cabins out in the wilderness. They are. Um, Canoe enthusiasts Outdoors people Builders Um, And he'd kind of like myself Had a Very different life Not too long ago He was A Someone who worked in Commercial photography And fashion In I believe New York I think he said And a couple of other places Around the world And just decided to take A bit of a U-turn With his life And just Really change things up And now he lives A pretty simple Life out in the woods Just enjoying nature and, ca- and building cabins and things like that so super interesting guy we talked a little bit about that process we talk a little bit about the importance of failure we talk about uh some we nerd out on some camping gear uh, there's lots of stuff in there so i really hope you guys enjoy this interview but before i let you go i want to just thank the people who have um donated on our patreon page and um, which is now up and live and running um, any bit that you guys can help to contribute towards um, getting this podcast out is so helpful to me. Um, obviously, there's a lot of time spent on these um, interviewing, editing, researching and all that kind of stuff, the website and, and things. So thank you so much um, for the people who have already uh, contributed to the podcast. It's really, really grateful for that. And if you are interested in contributing um, and signing up to our Patreon, there is going to be a reward system there, of course. So there's going to be merchandise. There's going to be exclusive uh, content. Um, you'll have access to live Q&A sessions with a, either myself or myself and a guest where you can call in live on the show and ask your questions. Um, and that will be recorded as well, of course. So there's, there's going to be lots of perks to being a member of our Patreon. So again... Um, patreon.com slash trial by fire podcast okay so enjoy the episode and um, I'd love to hear from you guys any feedback that you have any thoughts is um, always welcome um, and until next time I will talk to you soon and enjoy this bye-bye all right trust in timber how are you sir it's a f- pleasure to finally get you on this podcast how are you keeping I'm doing well man how are you I'm doing really well, man. It's 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 been a long time coming to get you on here, so I'm really happy to uh, finally uh, hear your voice on in, in my earphones. What uh, what are you up to today? It looks like you're out in the woods.
1: I I am. Yeah, I'm just at uh, the cabin build site, and I've uh, I've got a few smoky fires going here because the black flies decided to show up yesterday, and uh, they were buzzing around. But I managed to eliminate them, so hopefully there's no buzzing in the microphone. I think I've got them pretty much. Uh, dealt with
0: it's always a uh, temperamental doing recordings outside isn't it if there isn't airplanes there's bugs if there isn't bugs there's uh, a <laughs> you know, there's always something yeah, yeah exactly there's always yeah. something going on but you have been uh, you've been building that your cabin for a while now and I believe you kind of went uh you kind of took a little break from it for a while didn't you and then but you seem to be back up and running on that is it the same cabin that you were building that uh, big structure uh, the big kind of platform for a couple of what maybe six yeah. months ago
1: I never took a break from building. I just took a break from making YouTube videos because, um, well, so in the wintertime is when I harvest the logs. So Mm -hmm. I started harvesting the logs in 2018 and, you know, it's a, it's a slow, hard process. And uh, so, yeah, we started cutting some logs in 2018 and then again, 2019, the last summer I started building the platform And that was kind of just my intention was to build a platform because I knew I didn't have enough logs to finish the cabin yet. And you do want to, A, fell in the wintertime when there's the least amount of moisture in the log because uh, although it is easier to peel the bark if you fell them in the summertime, uh, the logs tend to turn much more gray. There's a lot more moisture in them, so the wood's not as strong. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I do my felling in the wintertime. And it's just, it's kind of boring content. I come out here, I cut down a few trees, I peel them, and that's my day. So I haven't been making YouTube videos about that. Uh, But I just put up one last week, uh, depending on when this comes out, a couple weeks ago, uh, just showing kind of like, you know, a general idea of of what went on this winter. And now I'm back in full swing building again and uh, should have, you know, weekly videos every second week, just kind of keep people up to date with the progress and uh, also this winter, there was a lot of time designing. I'm, I'm completely designing this cabin from scratch. It's uh, just my, my nature to try to always do things differently. I never like to do things the way they've been done before. It just doesn't really inspire me. So uh, it's easy when you build a piece of furniture, you just kind of figure it out as you go. But when it comes to a structure uh that needs to be safe for people uh you gotta put a lot more effort into that design process and and force forcing yourself to think differently and what can i do differently or what, what can i what can i do with my resources that uh, allow me some different you know room to grow and, and bring something new to the world so yeah it's been a lot of design process as well
0: yeah that's really cool man and it's one thing that i i kind of did want to ask you about like where your are um where your uh, construction skills came from? Because I know, I mean, as far as I'm aware, you, you studied graphic design, if I'm, cor- if I'm correct, visual communications. You got um, it. Well, you did research. <laughs> I got to do my research, man. Yeah. Um, where did the, when did the kind of um, the, the woodwork and the timber framing and stuff come in? Because, dude, you, like, it's, you must be doing that your whole life with it on the, on the background because <laughs> it's, it's a serious skill that you have over there. It's, it's pretty impressive to watch. Where did that yeah, come no. from?
1: No well, I grew up on a farm uh and my closest neighbor was like five kilometers away and I really didn't have uh you know much to you know I didn't really get to go play with other kids, <laughs> so right. I was just left to entertain myself and so I built a lot of tree forts um and then I got into like, you know, you know, you got your first bike and I tried to make bike ramps. And so you, you learn yeah. basic design principles, you know, you can't just nail a two by four into a piece of plywood and call it a ramp, you know, it'll snap on you. So you start to learn basic structural design and, and then I got into skateboarding and so I was just building, uh, things just, just, you know, fun boxes to skateboard with, but we never, we never, i never went to the store to buy materials. So we, we had this farm and we had a bunch of old buildings and it was full of old stuff and doors and pieces of metal. And so I would just go rummaging through these buildings and barns and, you know, drag out a door and a piece of angle iron and just, you know, have it out in the middle of the yard so that when my dad came home, uh, you know, I'd ask him, can I use this? And well, yeah, I, right. whatever. <laughs> I would just kind of like, you know, it forced me to be creative because I, and I didn't yeah. have much for tools. I, you know, I, if I found a piece of iron, I didn't have any way to cut it. I didn't have really any tools. I didn't have like even a circular saw or anything. So I'd have to build everything in the dimensions that I found it. And yeah, you just kind of learned. And I, you know, I don't know. I didn't think that was anything special, just out of necessity. It was like work with what you got. And so, yeah, that was it. I just, I've always been trying to build stuff, but not with any skill or, you know, anything other than just like trying to make something that I wanted. And then when we bought our house in 2013, my wife had shown me a picture that was on Pinterest uh, of these nice, like thick wood shelves. And so I went to the box store and I, you know, quickly realized like, I'm not going to get wood that looks good to make these shelves at a box store. And so I started asking uh, a neighbor who had built his own timber frame house, you know, where do I get nice wood to build some shelves? And so he told me a mill, which I later on eventually started going to, but he, he said, you know, I've got some cutoffs from my house. If you'd like to come over, I can give you some old beams. And so I drove over there and he's got a you know pile of, of 12 inch by 12 inch beams, you know, four feet long, five feet long, just scraps that he had left over. And they were kind of sitting under a pile. You could tell like the snow had been pushed on top of them and there was rocks and stones. And so they were somewhat riding away and uh he gave me two of these beam massive beams that you know took two of us to lift into the back of my jeep and i was like oh man these, these do not look like shells <laughs> <laughs> not yet <laughs> like i'm used to finding something and then making it work in the way that it is right yeah, yeah and i was yeah. kind of embarrassed like this guy's a really great craftsman um, yeah. he builds stuff for a living he, he you know he builds stores and stuff like that and uh and so as i'm about to drive away I just said to him, like, how do I cut these? (laughs) Right. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is 2000, yeah, 2014. So I haven't been doing this that long. Wow, that's Um, a huge leap, man. he said, I don't know, do you have a chainsaw? And I was like, yeah, I got got a chainsaw. (laughs) So I I got home and the next day I just drew a line down the center of these beams and just free-handed it with the chainsaw. And it was rough, but... uh, I had another friend who, he was a magician and he built some like magician, uh, like tables and stuff like that. And so he had some hand tools. So I called him and I said, okay, I I cut these, this beam in half. How do I smooth it out? So he's like, okay, I'll come over. I'll bring some hand planes. And so he brought over some hand planes and that was basically the beginning, a chainsaw and a hand plane. And I realized I can take any piece of wood, make it whatever size I need it and smooth it out. And, and it just kind of opened up a whole new world. I was like, wow, this is fun. Like, and I just got addicted. So I That's started making stuff wow. for the house.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is—it's such an addiction. I mean, the only thing that I can compare to because I, I don't have uh, woodworking skills, but I would do like some car- like wood carving when it comes to like spoons and and things like that, and. Yeah, like your first one is rough. Your first of anything is always rough. You know what I mean? But you mm. got to make your first in order to make your hundredth, as they say. Um, and just teach, teaching yourself and learning along the yeah. way and making mistakes and, you know, that stuff, that's the addictive, fun nature of it. Um, I have th- I have the type of personality where I can't just like look at something and think, oh, that's cool. It's cool that they can do that. It's like, how do I learn how to do that? And how do I learn how to do it fast? And I just get this, weird addictive like I get into this weird mode where i just have to like learn so i can totally yeah. understand exactly where you're coming yeah. from but mine's that, a little that...
1: different mine's mine's like i i see something and you, like you said you want to learn how to do it fast i say yeah. how can i do it different i don't care how long it takes <laughs> right
0: right right. because <laughs> uh, yeah. i
1: i'm not i'm not uh yeah i'm not motivated by speed for some reason i just uh because i I really enjoy the process. You know, it's something that I preach. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the process, and as soon as I'm not enjoying it, then I stop doing it because I'm doing this all for fun. This is ultimately, yeah. enter, you know, my my hobby. So, yeah. uh, so I make sure that I'm having fun and en- enjoying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and that little anecdote that you uh, kind of spoke about there about building the shelves, it, it almost encapsulates three. I mean, you mentioned that you kind of live by these three life lessons: we had simplicity, creativity, and community. Mm-hmm. And I guess in some ways, that story. Uh, kind of encapsulates all three of those things you know the creative drive to create something, the simplicity of having a few tools around and you know kind of cherry not cherry picking, but like just being able to like pick what you could get, and then obviously the community aspect of it you 've got friends who can help you who can give you tools you 've got people who will give you that timber that mm-hmm. lumber you know it's where where did these um where did these three sort of uh holistic goals come from where like because it's mm. it 's a nice it 's a nice way to
1: live. Um well, it came from canoeing um so it, it was the outcome of a stressful time of my life so you know i I talk about growing up on the farm and you know and I mentioned skateboarding so the the there was no i had no asphalt, <laughs> I had no pavement on our farm, and so there was this like from a teen from a kid you know thirteen fourteen, fifteen. I dreamed of big cities. I was like, there's going to be, you know, I can go skateboarding down the street. I had this little cobblestone path that I would have to skateboard on. And I couldn't like, until I got myself a little dirt bike, I couldn't like, I had, I was stuck on this farm. And so there's, I think it was just something ingrained in me to like, get to the big city. And so that kind of just took me on a whole different journey that, um that was 10 years of my life uh working in, you know, as a creative director in fashion. And then it wasn't until I left that, that, um, you know, I, I started. started to become. I started to realize there was a lot of stress in, in that in the big city, and there's a lot of stress in having a big, you know, big important job. And when I quit, I just went canoeing, and uh, I just kind of journaled and wrote everything down, just try to figure it all out. And, and it came. It came from that. Those those three principles came from just uh, taking a break from all of it and trying to really distill what's important in life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you meant, you mentioned that because it was again something that I did want to speak to you about was this whole kind of one eighty in in your kind of direction in life. So, for people who maybe aren't familiar, like before you were Trust and Timber, you know you you were a commercial photographer, you were a designer, you worked in New York, Hong Kong, you know everywhere like all over the world and. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's like, that's the dream, man, you know, yeah. and, and that's the thing that people chase. But I mean, just for myself, on a much smaller scale as you, um, the same thing happened to me at being a graphic designer in Dublin. Um, I loved living in the city, you know, of course, and I Dublin is always going to be my home and where I come from. But the lifestyle that I was doing on the weekends, going out camping, trying to get out in the like just trying to cram in as much forest time as I could only to be like going back into the office and sitting down on Monday. I mean, it's just so hard for someone like maybe yourself or myself. Um, It's just not within our nature to be, well, first of all, to have a boss, because I don't like having a boss. And second yeah. of all, sitting at a goddamn desk, man, it's so hard. Yeah. You know, so I really admire what you've done with your life and, and that's, and it's, you've completely kind of turned it around, but, do you think that there are skill sets and sort of learnings that you got from that kind of world, being a designer, being a communicator that enable you to, I suppose, effectively communicate the life that you lead now? Because, you yeah. know, you obviously broadcast it and very well and very proficiently. Do you think that there's a crossover there with the skill set that you might have acquired from, from that time?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's just experience. You know, I think that you know, the, my dream of getting to the big city and traveling, I think that's a great dream. I think that's something that people should aspire to do when they're young, because um, you learn so much about different cultures and different places and different foods and different ways of life and different people, you know, uh, you know, going to China and seeing, you know, staying in a five-star hotel and then looking out the window and just seeing like slums as far as you can see mm. and, you know, going down, going outside and just starting to walk through this and see people like cooking a you know, cooking a chicken or a turkey in a, with a fire in a pot just behind a, like a, a five-star hotel. Like there's this crazy divide between the rich and the poor. And then, and then around the corner, you see a Maserati pull out of the underground parking lot and you know, drive by all this. And it's like, wow, uh, you know, what is it like for these people who have to look at this luxury every day and, and not have it? Right. I also had the opportunity to work on a documentary uh, with a family of Cree up on the shores of James Bay. And so this family, uh, Luke Diamond, who is just like a mentor and a hero to me, him and his wife, Gertie lived uh, for five months of the winter, the coldest months of the year out on their trap lines, in a, in a wall tent. And then they also had a cabin like a long hundred kilometers away. And so we, we drove up, there it was about a 13 hour drive north. We met up with Luke, we got on the snowmobiles and we did a three hour snowmobile ride into their camp. And just so spent the spent a week out there, like documenting his lifestyle. You know, netting fish, how to net fish under the ice. He just started telling me stories about snaring moose, and we trapped beaver. And there, you know, he's telling stories while he's skinning a beaver on you know on the living room floor. And uh, and this guy, he didn't um, he didn't smile a whole lot, <laughs> but he was happy. He was genuinely. Like, you know, he, he, the only thing that made him sad is when he would talk about the youth today and that they just want to play video games and sit in dark dark basements and drink beer. You know, he was really trying to get, you know, the youth out there in, interested in outdoor skills and, and traditional ways. And that was really the only thing that kind of made him, made him sad, but, but he was, he lived a happy life and he lived a good life. And man, that guy was amazing. Like I just watch him walk into the bush with an ax and he bang, 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 he'd come out with like perfect stakes and just like his skillmanship was just perfect. Uh, he made snowshoes and just a true, a true woodsman. And so that a was a true woodsman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A true woodsman. And uh, you know, and you, you, you can judge a, you can judge a true woodsman when his gear is horrible and he does things that you are just <laughs> blown away with, you know, he's <laughs> yeah, got that tape it. all over his coat yeah. and uh, everything kind of jerry rigged together. And uh, but you know, he survives in minus 40 uh, Celsius uh, without even a thought. Like he's, it was literally, I don't know the exact temperature, probably like minus 32 Celsius. That's I'm cold, bundled man. up. My fingers are numb. I can barely use the camera yeah. and he's pulling metal traps out of the ice with his bare hands. Oof. Just like a respect of uh, a respect for the guy that, and his son. And like, they're just, I don't know. And they, yeah, they just made me also realize, okay, they, they live way out here in the middle of the nowhere and they have very little stress. Um, you know, and, and same thing with my friend, Tom, who makes canoes. He, he, he makes birch bark canoes and he lives out you know on a beautiful river in a you know a little small house and, and he's happy and so just kind of meeting all these people while i was uh you know working as a creative director just started to make me reevaluate uh you know what life do i want to live
0: yeah man yeah and there is a real return to those things these days i think although we are talk, you are talking about like the youth of today and for the most part i do agree with you but i think and maybe it's our generation i mean i'm i'm 31 right now and um i see in not just my outdoor friends but also friends that are you know in the cities that are still working as designers and stuff they see this what we do as like something unbelievably you know you're unbelievably lucky to be doing this kind of thing and it's like well you know anybody can do this you know and i do see I do see a return to simpler things um, in the general kind of um, zeitgeist of my generation at least. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting pretty tired of the rat race, so to speak. And the more people I meet that like yourself and and like the people that you're talking about, and I see how happy these people can be. Jeremias and Hannah up north that I uh, work with um, who run a dog sledding team in northern Sweden. Like they're in day in, day out, like their their dogs are their life and, you know, their homestead and they're two of the happiest people I've ever met. You know, they're Mm -hmm. like very much like, like you and your wife, um, they work together. They built they built this company together and they, you know, they're best friends, they're teammates and they're work buddies and it's a really beautiful relationship, and I actually it's something I wanted to ask you about because you and you and your wife like you do a lot of work together, and it's it's really mm-hmm. cool to see that. Was that um did that just kind of fall into place, or was that like a conscious like I want to you want to do this with me? Yeah, let's do, you know where, where what was the conversation around that? Like, do you want to? stop not live in new york anymore and go
1: live out here with me (laughs) uh uh you know everybody thinks that i dragged her out into the woods but uh it was it was her you know Uh, even her family you know they they always seem so sympathetic towards her you know uh your cody's making you go camping again this (laughs) weekend she's fine she looks um, like she's well capable she is and she loves it you know she has a stressful job as well she still works a full-time job And, uh, it's stressful and she loves, she, you know, she's, she loves to just get outside. And, you know, we, we realized that canoe trips were really great therapy for both of us because, uh, in her line of work, um, when she can be reached by phone, she's problem solving and she's trying to help people. And there's a certain amount of weight, I think that just sits on you when you, you're the one that can help someone else. And so when you go on a canoe trip and you lose service and your phone doesn't work, I think it's the only way you can really feel true freedom because you're not on call, even if it's a weekend or whatever, but it's not, it's the same. And, and we have a, we have a saying that, uh, it takes two days to shake the city out of you. So yeah. you know, on our second day of the canoe trip, you start to feel it like, you know, going on a, one night or two night, it doesn't cut it. It takes two days of being out there. And then also it, it's almost like a wave that just kind of rolls over, you know, like, Whoa, I'm out here, you know, I'm, I'm free. And, uh,
0: And everything just
1: slows down and you're more, it's more peaceful and yeah, it's, uh, so yeah. And then we're, we're just best friends. We are inseparable. We, we always want to spend time together. And so whatever one of us wants to do, uh, if they're passionate about doing that thing, the other one just kind of joins, joins in and and we Mm. do it together. So. Mm.
0: No, that's really cool, man. I, I love that, that, um, that idea of, you know, the second day the city kind of getting it out of your system. It's so goddamn true. Yeah. Like second and third day, like if you, particularly if you're not moving on the third day or the second day, if it's like your campus was established the day before, we're literally, we're literally just going to sit here today. We're going to maybe make yeah. some dinner <laughs> or maybe make some coffee, yeah. you know, Yeah. What, what, maybe I'll have a nap around noon, yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows, you know, Yeah. I mean, it's so true. man. that, that second day is, is, is the bliss you know. Yeah,
1: that's, that's exactly it. We work because we don't like, uh, I'm just going to say it. It's not, we don't like people, you know, we, we, we like people, right. but when we go on yeah. our canoe trips, we, we need to get away from everybody. Yeah. And so we work really hard for two days and just get out there. And then when you finally get to that, you know, that site that you're aiming for to a location, that's like, you're going to call home for a few days. Yeah. There's nothing better than a, an afternoon nap, right? You know, you pull your canoe up, you throw it a wool blanket and you just have a nap in the sun and be like, we we're here and uh you know a lot of people that go on canoe trips they like to keep moving and they like to you know progress every day and and that's cool you know i've I've done some of that as well but when we go camping together we we work really hard to get to a spot and then we just chill out we make it our home we set up you know nice tarps and nice tent and make everything cozy and unpack the whole kitchen and all of our food and we just (laughs) uh we settle in we just enjoy it yeah yeah it's so true what kind of gear are you using these days i
0: mean i from what I can see in your videos and things like that, like you tend to keep quite an outdoor, uh, sorry, a, an old school kind of setup, some canvas gear and, you know, you use your, your frost river backpacks mm-hmm. and things. Would that be your normal kind of pack out? Or is that kind of more for the aesthetic niceties of, of YouTube videos and things?
1: No, the frost river bags are the only bags I have. I have one uh, waterproof. It's like a duffel bag, a mech or a North face duffel bag. So if I know that I'm heading out and the forecast is just calling for rain every day, I'll throw everything in that big duffel bag. But I haven't used it for a few years. Uh, everything goes, everything goes in, the, in the canvas packs in waterproof bags. So, yeah, the, you know, when you buy a, a high quality waterproof bag, eventually it's going to snag or hit a tree or rip or something like that. And with these canvas packs, even with canvas packs, you know, they're heavy duty, but I do rip them, but you sew them up. And then inside of those canvas packs, I put waterproof bags that hold all of my sleeping sleeping gear and clothes. And so even if those waterproof those even if those big heavy canvas packs go overboard and hit the water, they're full of airtight flotation devices, essentially keeping everything dry and keeping the bag afloat. So the canvas packs just protect everything from 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 getting, you know, an axe sticking through it or a, a branch or a stick or a sharp rock or whatever. So yeah, I just that's just what we use
0: yeah I mean the old school stuff you really can't beat it the only thing is weight I suppose but when you are that's another beautiful advantage of canoeing you know you can pack that thing if it's only two two light enough people in that canoe I mean mm-hmm. I, I have the, the advantage of only weighing 65 kilos so I can uh, what's that 150 pounds is mm-hmm. like I think that's my weight so it's like everything I can throw in the canoe and it kind of it's a blessing and a curse because you do end up kind of relying on having that much gear with you so I mean when I move away from here I'm I'm working at a canoe center right now living and working and uh, that is one thing I'm going to miss the most is my canoe because everything else from here on mm. in until I until I buy my own canoe I suppose is going to be uh, going to be foot foot camping you know rubber 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 camping you know um, so that's going to be interesting what kind of what kind of mm-hmm. canoe are you guys rocking
1: uh, we have a, a bit and co it's a canoe made in Quebec And, uh, so we, uh, we like it. It's, um, it's heavy, uh, in the sense that like it's fiberglass, like we, you know, there's obviously lightweight Kevlar canoes and stuff like that. And, uh, but what sold me on, on fiberglass was it's repairable. So it's a lot more environmentally friendly in the sense that that canoe will last forever. It's always going to be repairable and it's repairable out in the field. So I carry a fiberglass, a fiberglass repair kit with me. If uh, you know, I've never actually done enough damage that I have needed to use it on a trip. I've, I've broke some gunwales and and stuff like that, and had to do some some woodwork fixing. But uh, but just the idea of, of of being able to repair it uh, has been good for us. And it tracks well in the water, and yeah, we we love it. Actually, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we love it. I, I should mention they gave it, you know, I they gave it to us, uh, or it's a lease. So they're we're the one we had last year. They're taken back, and they've given us a new model this year. And, uh, so it's going to be similar. I'm not sure exactly what's, what's different about the new one, but, uh, but they make great canoes and I don't know, I, I take extra pride in, in using Canadian things, you know, being a Canadian, if, if there's a company that makes something in Canada, it's my top priority to to use that stuff, you know,
0: that's totally understandable. Uh, How is the fiberglass? I mean, I don't know what kind of, are you going on mainly like open water or is it, are you on a lot of like rivers or like how's, what's the terrain like around where you are?
1: Um, rivers, we're not doing heavy white water where there's like huge rollers that we're going to smash up against a big rock. Um, but we grind over a lot of rocks. Uh, if, if we can, if we can shimmy our way over a rock, we will. <laughs> and, it, so, and it holds uh, up okay. The fiber Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah no, cool. No problem. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we're hard on them. And I mean, I do that, like maybe it'd be different if I bought it. Um, and, right, and I, right. you know, but part of, I think part of them, you know, giving us canoes is, is we need to test it. They're going to take our honest feedback. And if it's, if it's shit, I'm going to let them know. And so I, I do that with all the gear. Anytime somebody gives me stuff, I'm, I'm really hard on it. Like I beat the crap out of axes and saw (laughs) chainsaws. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the testing process. And if I'm going to vouch for a company or promote a product, I need to know that it can hold up against like the hardest conditions and the hardest tests. So I don't want to be delicate with anything that I'm going to promote and stand behind. I, you know, I'm hard on it. So when yeah, I, when course. I promote something, I know that it's it's good.
0: No, absolutely. And it kind of leads me on to my next question because I wanted to ask what the, um, how should I put this? What's the, uh, we kind of spoke about it briefly earlier about kind of bringing peripheral skills from kind of previous uh, experience, with being a commercial photographer and designer but obviously you still work with a lot of uh, companies albeit you know outdoor companies now Danner Boots 10TP I believe Husqvarna mm-hmm. um, what is the if you don't mind kind of talking about that so what is the balance now between um the work involved with those kind of companies versus like you know uh just use, like the, the the pleasure of using kit rather than you know is it for work or is it for you know, I guess you can kind of meld them a little bit now that you're mm-hmm. using them in your, in your kind of hobby life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the, what way do you work with, with companies these days?
1: Um, yeah, it's a great question. Every situation is different. Um, in, there's kind of two extremes. There's, there's, you know, on one side, I work for a lot of companies that you wouldn't even see. I don't post on Instagram. I don't post on you know, in my social media, like, um, like, for example, one of my biggest clients is an architecture firm. And uh, so one of the big projects I worked on, I spent 180 days or 280 days, I'm not even sure, but uh, documenting the building of Drake's house. And so so that some of that work is like, it gets more views than anything I've ever done on my channel. But it's not, it's not my place to promote that I'm someone else is hiring me to create that content. So I, I create it and I give it to them and I let them promote that. Um, and then on the other hand, and, you know, so that's 100% for the sake of financial gain. And on the other hand, there's companies where I just really need something and I could go and buy it or I could just say, Hey, do you want to, you want to trade, um, you know, some pictures or something for, for this product. And, and yeah, sometimes they say yes. So, uh, but a lot of it falls in the, in the middle. So I, really don't uh like I don't take money to like promote a product or like post it on social media or whatever if I if I'm promoting it it's cuz I really like it but what I do sell is packages of content that they can use for their own marketing so um I'll make a relationship with a company and I'll say okay here's a price for 10 high res photos that you got uh full usage rights for 2 years and then they can go put that on the cover of their brochure or use it on their website or that kind of stuff. For me, uh, it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's the ultimate kind of flip of where I used, used to be coming from right before I would be paid. Like I would be told this is the product you're going to promote. And I remember one time uh, we had to promote a pink Prada raincoat. It was like 5,000 us dollars. And it was just like this horrible plastic. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is horrible. Like it's bad for the environment. It's like, whatever it's just uh but it was my job like that's what i had to go do that day and i had to shoot shoot it for a cover of a magazine and so uh i felt like the marketing and advertising was broken at that point because it was you know it was all about you know it was a lot more strategy of of marketing rather than just making good product and i think that is when like part of that job is i was actually working with influencers in that position and trying to you know say hey would you like to promote you know would you like to promote this product um and what, what's beautiful about the way it's changed now, at least for the ones that are doing it morally, is that we can promote products that we really do think are great, you know. So uh, I, I think that trust is my number one asset for my company. So, you know, for me, I do, I do promote product, um, but I hope that I've earned the trust in the people who see my content that they know okay if he's saying it's good then it must be good you know um because i wouldn't promote a product that's not good because as soon as i lose that trust i, I lose my value it's it's not just trust it's for me it's integrity you know it's like oh yeah. w-
0: what are they wearing this week what are they selling next week what are you know it's like clearly uh you know you can jump ship <laughs> to, to sell them to yeah. the highest bidder and that that's uh it's a sad thing to see in, in today's yeah. world, you know. But I
1: think that's what. But it's okay. I, I mean, I, I think it's okay with social media because as long as you're, a, you know, good consumer and you're find people that you can trust, uh, it's actually a great way to filter out the good product from the bad product because you are like, well, you know, these people use us on this canoe trip. They say it's good. Uh, you know, otherwise, I'm I'm gambling. I can read a few reviews, but you can't trust reviews. Uh, we, we know those are often fake. Uh, so if you can find someone on social media that you value their opinion and trust their opinion. I think that's a great way to do some, some product research. So I think it's, uh, I think it's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do agree with you. I mean, everybody, when they started out well, at least for me, uh, when I got into Bushcraft, um, I kind of went and replicated the gear that, you know, for me, the first person I found found on YouTube was, um, was, um, Uh, uh, MCQ MCQ Bushcraft Mm. in the UK Mm -hmm. Um, he's actually living in Sweden now but um, I almost down to the down to the number like you know replicated his kit because I loved his work I loved what he was doing clearly very knowledgeable and very skilled very in-depth kind of understanding of the the gear he was using Mm -hmm. and And sometimes it was like, I'm using this. I've been using it for six months. I don't know how I feel about it yet. I used to use this one, which is also good. And it's a really good way for people, particularly beginners, to like, you know, well, where the hell do I even start? You know, what's where do I begin? And and so, yeah, you're right for people like you or or another another, you know, big names on 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 YouTube in particular. I think it's it's a really good way to to quickly learn and to really kind of. Get yourself some quality gear because we all make mistakes. We all buy bad kit sure. at the beginning. You know, yeah. everybody has those shitty tents that they bought thought would be fine, leaked on the mm-hmm. second night. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I learned from that mistake. You know, yeah. So any anything we can do to kind of, I suppose, bypass as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. But mistakes can be fun to make as well, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think I think while we're on the topic of gear, you know, I think uh, for people listening that are new you know, to, to bushcraft or just outdoor living, really resist the urge to buy anything. Uh, try to make do with what you have for as long as you can, because you'll learn, you'll learn stuff from that. You'll spend a little bit more time, um, and gain a bit, have a bit more experience when you do make a purchase. And I don't know, I, sometimes there's a pride in doing things with crappy stuff. (laughs) I don't know. I find that. Yeah. No,
0: no, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. Resist the urge to yeah. buy new stuff, and if you can make it yourself first, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I remember trying to make a canvas tarp from like a really heavy-duty, um, uh, like bedsheet cover, and like putting all this like uh, chemicals on it and stuff to try to waterproof it, and it's, see, <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. didn't no? it didn't work. It didn't work, but hey, it was sure. it was fun to play yeah. with.
1: You know, it was fun to, you know. Yeah. Um, but then when you do buy, when you do buy, buy quality. You know, I always, I always tell people I'm not rich enough to buy poor or I'm not, yeah, I'm not rich enough to buy cheap things. And, uh, and, you know, and greedy, and I always say, I'll say greedy people buy twice. So, you know, if I do decide I'm going to spend my money on something, I generally buy like the best version of it because if you, you know, it, like, you know, we want having too much junk, you know, well, it comes back to canoeing, right? You know, if you have to carry everything with you, then you don't want to be carrying something that's mediocre or crap. You know, if you're going to, if it's worth the weight to put in your pack, you want it to be quality. So, you know, resist the urge to buy, but when you buy, buy good. All right. Yeah. Or even, even a step further, I would say, just do whatever
0: research you think you need. Cause you know, everybody has different requirements with, uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to outdoor uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, and when it comes to tools, you know, for me, uh, so much of my creativity has come from a lack of tools when I like the first probably 10 YouTube videos I made I had three tools I had a chainsaw I had a circular saw that uh, my wife's mom gave me and I don't know I, I probably I don't know what else I had but like I didn't have much and so right. it it uh, a lot of my design has been a result of just like what limited tools that I have if I had a full shop with a table saw and a uh, a planer and a jointer i'd make the same furniture as everybody else you know so uh there's something fun about working with what you got
0: absolutely and working within those restrictions and again you coming from a visual communication background i'm sure you're well aware of you know the the joy of being restricted to one font or one two colors or particular mm-hmm. kind of formats that was one thing that really allowed uh, that i didn't understand at the beginning in college when we were like i remember we did a project and it was a month long and we were all given randomly assigned quality fonts uh, just one each um and we had to spend the entire month just tracing that font with uh, like layout paper mm-hmm. and just redrawing like a b c and like it felt so ridiculous at the time but by the end of the of the end of the month we all had to produce a a poster to promote that uh, font or typeface and I mean it's amazing the the astounding quality that somebody can can produce when they are restricted to a few tools um Mm -hmm. rather than having every color in the in the pencil case so to speak and so I absolutely agree with you you know for sure what's um what's next on your list for 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 building I mean that I imagine that cabin's going to take you quite a lot of time quite a long time to to, to finish.
1: Yeah, it it will. Uh, yeah. well the goal, um, I, I did, um, I did a, uh, a schedule and I basically broke down like all the elements that need to happen to, to finish this before the snow falls. Hmm. And I, I said to my wife, I said, well, the good news is if I become a superhero, I can get this cabin done <laughs> right 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 um <laughs> it's like, but what if you don't become a superhero well that's not not gonna happen um uh, i probably you know i probably could you know there's there's all it's everything everything's a, a you know a scale right if i if i sacrificed per my perfectionism if i had a bunch of people helping me um if i you know changed if i bought a bunch of lumber, you know, a lot of things I, you know, I could make, I could build a cabin. I could build a, if I had built a, just a traditional log cabin, like a regular saddle notch style, I would, the cabin would be done already. Um, it's, it's these parameters that I set for myself that is, is why it takes a while, but that's, that I mean, I'm not, I'm not desperate for a shelter. We have a house. I don't need to finish this cabin. I'm building this cabin for fun. As soon as I finish this cabin, then I got to start something new. So uh, that was kind of actually what, what got me. I've been, I've been talking about building a cabin since like 2016. Um, And, but what, what really intrigued me about it was just like, just having one project that I always know I just, this is what I'm going to go work on. And it's something that's really useful. Um, And, and the, the, the philosophy with the cabin, I guess part of when I talk about why it's taken so long is I've got some restrictions that I set upon myself. And one of them is that this cabin is going to be completely, completely unassemblable. So, nothing's nailed together um everything can be unbolted i'm using bolts but everything can be taken apart completely laid on the flat of a a trailer and then transported to a new location because the land that i'm on right now we don't own this land um but the idea was like harvest the trees here instead of cutting all these trees and then moving the trees i just thought why don't i just rough assemble the cabin here and peel the bark let the bark land on the on the forest floor all the cutoffs all the sawdust everything just goes back to the soil and i'm going to build it here and then close you know pack it all up and then transport it and uh so that was also kind of a design restriction that i needed to 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 really really think about is how do i make sure that i can take this thing apart and then move it
0: Oh, wow, man, that is some undertaking. And I suppose for people who aren't maybe familiar with your, because you have done a uh, maybe is it about six or seven videos on this on this cabin so far. But I mean, yeah. you're cutting all the, your own, like every single log in that house you've cut down yourself from the trees around you. You've barked them, you've yeah. trimmed them, you've you know, you've you've all the notches, all the joints, everything with just you and your wife. It's unbelievable. Like yeah. I can't believe that you know. Yeah. You're able to do even just dragging those logs through. I mean, that looks exhausting. <laughs> well, there's the
1: there's so much more to it than than building a cabin. You know, this is a this is another. You know, this is another stage in my in my life, and it's every stage in my life, I learn something really important from. And what I'm what I'm learning, you know, you from from this process, from cutting the my trees, cutting the trees myself, and peeling the bark, you learn things at hundred trees that you didn't know at 50 trees, you know, and you learn things at 160 trees that you didn't know at hundred trees. And so it, sometimes it just takes like process over and over and over again, so that your brain starts to think I can do this differently. Or, um, here, you know, here's what, here's what didn't work. Like, for example, I learned about peeling trees in the summertime. I I cut about 15 trees in the summertime, peeled the bark. I was like, wow, this is so easy. I'm never going to cut trees in the wintertime. Again, the bark just peels off like, you know, like wrapping paper. And then a couple months later, all those, all those logs were just all gray and gross. And there was like, "Ugh." Uh, so then you like, you know, you take, so these things, these things, when you're working in nature, these things take years to learn because you got to see the process, see how, how nature handles the situation. And, um, but, and, you know, I'm also noticing like in the areas that I've cleared now, I start to see new growth. And so, um, you start to learn about like what plants start to take shape first and then, Uh, yeah, there's just so much that you observe through this process. And, you know, one of the other things that I noticed was, uh, mostly actually in the, in the cabin model, but that I'm applying to now the full cabin is, is like alcohol consumption. You know, I used to have a few beers and, you know, build the model and, and, you know, this was a good time. And I started to just, when you start to, I think when you start to push yourself to the max, like, I think everybody should, should at some point in their life or at least every five years come up with a project that's out of their limits, like beyond what they think they're capable of. And it's going to require every bit of them, like all their brain power, all their effort and push yourself to the max. Because when you start pushing yourself to the max, you start to see your weaknesses. And so I noticed that with alcohol, like I would have a few beers and I'd be working on my cabin model and I would be in a great mood. I'd be working really quickly. And then I realized, Oh, I should have cut that or I shouldn't have done that. I was moving too quickly. And I didn't think that through enough Or even just doing some of the design on paper, I just realized like, even though I don't feel drunk after a beer, it affects my brain just that little bit that takes me from like a 90% or like a 100% functioning to like a 90% functioning. And so that lesson now I'm also applying to, you know, building the real cabin because I'm like, I don't want to make those same mistakes I made on the model on the real cabin. So, you know, pushing yourself to the limit has helped me cut back on even alcohol consumption and, and things like that, that just help you really pay attention to your own body and, and what you're capable of. And so it's That's more I mean. than just building a cabin. It's, uh, you know, it's learning about yourself. That's super
0: interesting, dude. I mean, uh, in some respects, the cabin is almost a byproduct of all that. For sure. yeah it's
1: amazing every time everything I've built I mean, I built the C4 I built another platform for the TP once I'm done I don't go there (laughs) I I start the new project and I'm I'm more interested in the building and the figuring it out I mean I do I go and enjoy it a little bit but not nearly as you would think that when you put so much effort into something that you would really want to enjoy it but I'm more interested in just building the next thing because it keeps my brain focused yeah yeah, that
0: desire to create, um, I think, is an addictive uh, thing, and I think it comes from, at least for me personally, um, from a young age, always having hobbies, and um, be that true, like yourself, skateboarding. For me, it was skateboarding, music. You know, tried some sports, and I think you're you will suck at everything the first time you try it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think that's an important feeling to understand from a young age is. When you pick up something, you're not going to be good at it. But that feeling or that thrill that when you when you do start to make a bit of progress, when there is some learning, when there is when you make some sort of leap, whatever, however small or incremental that might be, the, the reward system in your brain when you get that feeling is so addictive that as an adult, if you have been someone who has tried lots of different things as a kid and understood what it feels like to be shit at something at the beginning and then get slightly better at it or better. Yeah. Um, then you do become that kind of person in your grown-up life um. wherein I'm like that as well. I mean, I'm obviously not building log cabins, but I always need to be making something. And as soon as it's made, it's like, okay, what's the, what's what's our next project? Mm-hmm. What's our next client? What's our next whatever? Um, And just picking up new hobbies as well. It's like, you know what? I don't know how to fish. I'm going to suck at it. But when I get good at it, it will be all the more... Rewarding, And I think mm-hmm. that is something that is really lost in, We going back to what we were talking about, like, you know, younger generations today. I just don't, I think they're afraid to be bad at something or they don't, oh, they're not really, they're not really tested. <laughs> they're not really pushed. They're bubble wrapped. They're, you know, have you heard the term um like a snowplow parenting where like no. essentially parents will like a snowplow will just go move ahead in front of their kids and just move any sort of difficulty or obstacles out of their way so that when they do come up against some sort of challenge in their life
1: they just don't know what to do with it and it's 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 sad man but failure is so important you know you man fail like you well you know everybody knows you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding but uh you gotta fail and you can't be afraid of fail you have to you know enjoy the failure now I'm not saying everybody should fail publicly. Like, you know what I'm doing in putting it all on YouTube. Like if my cabin falls apart, uh, that's going to be a big failure. I'm going to learn a lot. and um, (laughs) but, but I don't care because I've, I mean, obviously I care if it falls apart, but I'm, I've got to the point where I'm so okay with failing that I'm okay to fail publicly. And that is a hard thing to do. You know, it's a hard thing to, to be able to fail and be okay with that. And it takes an inner confidence to get to that point. And you get that inner confidence by like failing and realizing it wasn't so bad. You know, I heard a quote the other day, someone said, uh, those who get offended should get offended more often. And I think those, those who are afraid of failure just need to fail way more. And you, you learn so much by failing. Like even if like, for example, like you talked about spoon carving. If you fail at a, you fail at a spoon, you, you just screw up on the grain, you go the wrong way. You learn something there about wood grain. If, if I have a choice between two people to help me build the cabin and one person has built stick framing houses and the other person has never built any structure, but they've done a lot of spoon carving, I'm going to take the spoon carver because what right. I'm doing is a lot more like spoon carving in this mm-hmm. cabin than, it, than people who build a normal stick frame house. Like a scale wood. Yeah, the same, those, you, those principles still apply. Um, and you know, I know those people are going to know how to sharpen their tools. They're going to know how to sharpen a knife. The you know, same principles apply to a chisel. They're going to understand... You know, you can't put wood burk back when you cut it. You're gonna understand cutting to a line. Uh, you know, these these principles that you learn on smaller projects start to apply. And so it's better to fail on those smaller things and then kind of work your way up into bigger failures.
0: Totally. And I think just to kind of tip on the the kind of peripheral skills or the kind of subst what would you call it, like secondary knowledge that that comes from spoon carving. I mean, like you said, understanding grain wood and grain direction not to mention tree identification in and of itself, like what kind mm-hmm. of trees are going to, you know, uh, tool sharpening. Yeah, everything you covered there, there's anything within the outdoors is always going to have these unexpected peripheral skills that kind mm-hmm. of come with them if you yeah. get deep enough into that process. So yeah. I can only imagine how many peripheral skills you are learning making those wooden cabins, like the, the things, like the 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 small nuances within that, I think they must be... Innumerable. I just,
1: it's, it's, it's extremely impressive to me that someone can do that single-handedly. And it's. I, I notice it with my wife too. You know, she's she's out here helping me sometimes, and and sometimes the things that she says or the skills that she's absorbed, I'm blown away with. I was like, how did right. you how did you learn how to do that? Right. I saw you do it, you know, or I you know you, <laughs> or you know, I talk about things or I talk about you know, she hears my failures more than anybody. So she's learning the mistakes that I make along the way, you know. Yeah. designing this cabin, I, you know, I get all excited, I've got it all figured out, I know how my corners are gonna come together, and then I realize, mm. oh, but that's not gonna work for the windows, or you know, and you I've just I've had to she's had to listen to me working through this whole process and but she's she's absorbed it and she's learned from it and she knows the terminology and and yeah, you know, and she enjoys yeah. it.
0: that's amazing. Yeah, they say the, the the best mistakes or the best way to learn is from learning from other people's mistakes. You saw your friend put his hand in that fire. It's like, oh, he got burned. I ain't gonna do that. Hmm. I, know, haven't, so I haven't I haven't absorbed
1: that skill. I still have to learn everything from my own mistake. I right. Just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I, <don't>, you know, <laughs> yeah, and and even with people's victory, like things that they do well too. If you know, I that's one of the things about being on YouTube is everybody tells you how you should do things. And it's like, yeah, I know that's how I should do it. That's how everybody does it. That's why I'm not doing it. And I might fail and I might hurt myself or might do something. But I mean, what's the point of at least, especially with bringing content to the world, if I'm going to do it the same way everybody else does it, then what's the point of me doing it? You know, I want to, I want to bring something new to the world. And even if it's like 1% of the content that I would bring, if I was doing it the way that everybody else does it, I'd rather bring 1% of new content to the, you know, to the world or a new idea, even if that idea, you know, comes once every five years, if I can bring one new idea every five years to, to the world, that's, that's exciting to me.
0: No, totally. And obviously you're doing something right. And people want to watch your stuff because you are doing it your own way. And people obviously see that, you know, but, uh, Tristan, you are a wild card (laughs) and, uh, it's a pleasure to know you and it's been really cool having you on the podcast and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule man to to have this conversation with me. Um just before I let you go is there anything um coming down the line maybe some teasers or anything that people are uh maybe looking forward to that you've got uh, lined up or are you just you're just sailing the way you're sailing right now and that's perfectly fine as well.
1: Yeah, I'm just sailing. Well, I'm uh yeah, they, there's there's more going on behind me than I've shared anywhere so far so maybe by the time this comes out we're going to start to see some of the progress of the cabin um and yeah no i'm 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 excited i'm really revealed you know it's uh, um i'm yeah i'm pumped let's just say say that things are things are coming together uh better than i had hoped you know when you so so hopefully people enjoy it um yeah check me out on youtube trust in timber and on instagram trust in timber and uh yeah i guess my only uh kind of closing words is is uh for people just to enjoy the process and try to find uh, find pleasure in, in the things that they do.
0: Exactly. Enjoy the process. I like it, man. Thank you so much, dude. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank
1: you so much. It's been an honor.
0: Well, there you have it, guys. That was Trust and Timber recording from his, uh, his woodland, out taking a break from building his log cabin. I could see in the, the video feed in the background just the trees and the sun and blue sky out in that Canadian wilderness. So... He's uh, really living the good life out there, so it's it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see that in this day and age, these sort of lifestyle choices, I suppose, are still possible. You know, it's it's not easy to get uh, to to make your way in the world these days, and we don't all have to be part of the the corporate rat race. You know. So thanks again, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, don't forget to get in contact with me either through Instagram or on our website, TrialByFire.net. I'm always interested to hear from you guys and and hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. Um, And I hope you have a good couple of weeks and you're getting outside and you're enjoying that lovely weather that we're having. Take care and I will talk to you guys very soon.